Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Good morning, family. Let's take a breath. I just wanted to tell you this morning how good our God is. And I'm here to testify to you this morning and for all the days that the Lord calls me to serve as your lead pastor, I wanna point you to the one who is good, the one who sustains, the one who comforts us. I need that comfort this morning. You need me to be comforted in him and not in myself. And I need you to be comforted in Christ as well. We start this series in 2 Corinthians. We are not going to hit every chapter and every verse, but for the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at the themes of 2 Corinthians. But it is Paul's second letter to this church with whom he has a interesting relationship. This is his second letter. And the first words to them are words of comfort. Comfort in Christ. And that is where I wanted to begin this journey with you. Words of comfort. And so this morning, we begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Hear now the Lord's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning I thank you for divinely appointing this day. Father, I thank you for Christ Community Church and for all the work you are doing, have done, and will do in and through her. Father, I want to take a moment and thank you for the ministry of Richie Sessions. I wanna thank you for all of the team that has made today possible. Lord, I need your comfort this morning and your people 
need your comfort. So now I ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, open up our eyes and our hearts to show us the treasures of your word, that we would be a transformed people and a people who love and comfort one another. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence by your spirit. Now help the teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I want to take a second and just say hello to my mother. I sent her the link this morning. I hope she's joining uh, with my dad this morning. Thank you for so many of you praying for my parents, for it seems as close, the closer I got to this day, the more challenges and trials that my parents went through. But I'm grateful to say they're at home and they're able to join us this morning. And I wanna welcome all those who are outside joining us on the live stream. And I'm grateful this morning that I can say hello to my wife, Kate, and our dog, Zoe, who are joining back in Maryland and who will be here next week. Not Zoe, but Kate will be here this next week. And uh, the Lord is good. And so as we begin this morning, as we look at the opening of this second letter, three things we're going to look at. First, the context. Secondly, the center. Thirdly, the comforter. The context, the center, and the comforter. So let's go together, the context. Why in the world would I pick a letter like 2 Corinthians? It is because we have more in common with Corinth than you might imagine. It's important to understand that the context in which Paul was writing to them and the city in which they lived. This was a city that was perfectly situated to be a powerful and influential city. To the east, you had a port that would reach Asia. To the west, you had another port that would reach Italy. It was this place where it was the perfect meeting that you could walk from one port to another. And here in that place was such a powerful place of culture and of business, and it was an international city. It was an international city that also took uh, an opportunity to leverage the fact that it was international, and it had every year the Isthmus Games. You can actually go today to Isthmia. And this was the place where these games took place and people would come, and it was a place also where they were a part of a, a broader ecosystem. They were part of the Roman colony, Roman ecosystem, and I want you to think about this for just a minute. So it was an international city, place of culture and of parties, and a part of a greater ecosystem. So Franklin is a part of a greater ecosystem. Everybody keeps telling me, well, it's close to Nashville. And it's the place where everybody wants to move. And you know, there's no state income taxes. And surely you must enjoy that, right? You know, you don't have to pay those taxes in Maryland. It's much better here. And we're close to Nashville. And and this is a partying city. It's becoming more international until you really start digging deep and you realize, actually, most of the people who live here don't want people like me moving here. (laughs) Because we don't think your taxes are that high. So if they start going up, we're not going to complain, Right? And those people from California, welcome all of those who are from California. And if you're visiting for the first time today, so am I, welcome. It's great to have you. And, uh, and so I want you to welcome me as well. So it's an interesting thing that's happening in this region because I now get to learn as an outsider all the stories you tell about yourself. The pilgrimage festival, the music, the food. Oh, the food. 
man, it is so good to be back in the South. And boy, it didn't take but just a day to where I met a guy who has a barbecue truck right out here in the parking lot who was serving a wedding that took place here yesterday. And he was telling me the whole thing about, well, I do Memphis barbecue. I don't really, I said, well, does Nashville have any barbecue? No, they really don't have any barbecue that's really theirs. They just rob from everybody else. And, you know, he wanted to give me his philosophy of barbecue. It was great. It was awesome. And so people argue as I learned about barbecue and biscuits. And this is the story we tell. Not unlike Corinth. It also had its underbelly. That being an international city, being a place where people wanted to come, also meant that those who came wanted to build a life for themselves. And they wanted to be successful at it. It was a place for entrepreneurs, a place of great trade. In other words, if you were coming there, that meant you were on the A train going somewhere and you were building your life on your own competence and abilities. Does it sound familiar? And also it had an ethos that a place where you could come and have a good time, which meant There was pressure on what it meant to be a Christian living in a culture that was hostile to the Christian faith and welcomed anybody to do anything, everything, and everybody came. Does that sound familiar? Because this last week in the New York Times, the following headline appeared. Perhaps you heard of it or perhaps read it. Here's the headline. In the heart of Nashville, rolling parties rage at every stoplight. As Nashville's popularity has grown, so is the transportainment business, a motley assortment including old buses, farm tractors, and a truck with a hot tub. Many think it's gotten out of hand. Unless you're the entrepreneur who came here to build that truck and to build that business. So it's interesting. You are at a crossroads. People coming here from the West and the East for the promise of a new life a better job, better opportunities. This is the context in which the church had been planted and Paul was leading them. And in so doing, he began to realize that what had infected the church was the same ethos that he witnessed as he was in the city. The same drive towards success, the same drive towards building a life on your own competence trying to figure out how much can I be like Jesus and still be like the world. And this was the rub that he ran into as he wrote his first letter. He was confronting them. And because it was a city that was international, other teachers were coming in too. And they wanted to call the people to success and strength and giftedness and power and glory, not in Jesus, but in their giftedness. And so Paul could see how in their context, the church was beginning to absorb the same ethos of Corinth. The desire for power, success, and self-dependence. And so Paul wanted to take them to something different. And they didn't want to hear it. They wanted to hear glory, strength, power, and success. And he said, nope. And as we will see as the letter goes along, he wanted to emphasize his weakness 
and they didn't wanna hear anything about it. In fact, he talked about it so much and it drove them so crazy, they could barely stand to hear him preach and they criticized his preaching. And in this context, Paul now knows, this is after the first letter he sent to them, he now knows that they are suffering and they are afflicted. They're feeling the pressure. And we're gonna look at this next week. They're feeling the pressure of the outside world to be like it, to fit into its mold, and they're not sure what to do. And though he's had arguments and debates with them, he now comes to them with this second letter. And in this context and in the busyness, And in the craziness, in all of the noise, he comes to them with the center. The center thing that he would build his ministry on, the center thing that the church was about, the central thing of all things, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, duh, right? That shouldn't surprise us. But why was that so important for Paul? Listen again to what he says. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings so that Christ, in Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. His first words now to them in the midst of their affliction and in the middle of this moment where this church is, with all of the change, with all of the stuff that's happening in the culture, all the stuff that's happening with the pandemic, all the concerns, and now we've got school, we've got children and we've got all this craziness of the school schedule, we feel like we're coming frayed at the edges or perhaps at the center. I know I do. That is precisely how I feel. But his word to them is the center is Christ. What is he saying then when he points them to the center? Paul is bringing them to that which matters most, that is the person of Christ. And he starts by outlining who the Father is and his face towards them. And now I say to you in the name of Christ, the Father's face towards you, the Father of mercies and of all comfort. But let's go further. He then says this unique relationship between the church and Christ, and Christ and the church. And what he's talking about is intimacy. At the center of all that we do needs to be our intimacy with Jesus Christ. And so he points to Jesus's comfort that is provided to us through Jesus's affliction. And when we are afflicted, we're actually sharing in the very same affliction that Jesus had. And so in some ways, he's opening up the door and I'm asking you and he's asking us to open our mind's eye, our imagination. And for just a brief moment, let's consider the affliction of Jesus. 
And here I'm not talking about the cross yet. I'm talking about from the incarnation all the way through Gethsemane and the cross until the day he was raised from the dead. That is the picture of his affliction. Now let's for just a moment consider specifically three things as a part of this affliction of Jesus at the center of our faith. Was Jesus tempted to want control? That is precisely what Satan sought to tempt him for. Jesus, you want control? Throw yourself down and pick yourself up. Turn this rock into bread. He was tempting Jesus, use your power to establish yourself. Jesus was afflicted in the midst of the desert to face that which you and I face every day when we get up in the morning. Who has control over our lives and over ourselves and over our days? Are we not tempted to want control? Your savior knows precisely what that temptation is like. And whether you see that as affliction or not, think of it for just a moment. When Monday begins, the diapers are full, the schedule is full, the future is uncertain. Do we not want to make everything stop? Do we not want everything to just be okay? Can I just have this moment? where I can just be free of the burdens. We want to wrap our hands around that which will give us that control. That is affliction because we feel in the very heart of who we are that we know we don't have control, yet we yearn for it. Our Savior knows what that affliction is like, and yet he responded by giving himself. Secondly, not only was Jesus tempted to control, he was also tempted to want to escape the suffering that was before him. Take this cup from me, if it be your will. Let's be honest. We don't like affliction. We don't like being stressed. We don't like difficulties. We want comfort, but what we really want is to be comfortable. And when we're not, we want to get back to it. Jesus faced that same temptation. How can I get back to comfortable? But your Savior, for your sake, said, not my will, but your will be done. He not only was tempted to want to escape the suffering, He also was tempted by the jeers. On the cross, they said, if you are the king, if you are the powerful one, I mean, let's be honest, Jesus, hey, you're the the ultimate entrepreneur. Look what you've started. Look at all these people who followed you. All those great things you've done, we've heard about it. And frankly, it's made us angry. So do it again. Take yourself down from there if you're the king. That is precisely the picture of affliction of our Redeemer. Who through whom all things have been made. To whom all things 
and for whom all glory and honor are to be given. This same one, through whose power, through whose, his power, he has created all things. And this is the one who on the cross was jeered at by humans like us and say, if you're great, come down from there. But Jesus's response was what? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. This is the kind of affliction that Paul wants us to tap into as he's saying here, that Jesus was afflicted for you and for your salvation and for my salvation. And because of his resurrection and victory over sin and death, we then receive the comfort from Christ because he went before us through all the affliction that we face and he conquered it. This is our Redeemer, who does not look at your affliction, not one second, not one uniqueness of your affliction, does your Redeemer not know and understand. And so as one great theologian, Herman Boving said, Christ is not a human hero who overcomes every obstacle and finally achieves the pinnacle of his fame. On the contrary, he descended always lower and deeper and more intimately into our fellowship. The way down into these depths was marked by steps, conception, birth, the lowly life in Nazareth, baptism, temptation, opposition, disparagement and persecution, agony in Gethsemane, condemnation before Caiaphas and Pilate, crucifixion, death and burial. The way led ever farther down from his home with the Father, and it led ever nearer to us in fellowship of our sin and our death until finally, in the deepest depth of his suffering, he uttered the words, it is finished. We have intimacy with the one who has faced down every single affliction we could imagine as the God of gods and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he can meet you this day, wherever you are and whatever your affliction. This is the intimacy that we have. But not just an intimacy with the Redeemer who knows us, who's made fellowship with us in the midst of our sin, Jesus comes with his life and forgiveness and mercy. And here is the final point, the comforter. So out of his affliction, we have the redeemer who is the comforter. Now this is Paul. This is Paul saying to them, for as we share in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So now what's, what he's doing is, Paul is just described who Jesus is and, and pointing to that we do all things through him and for him and by him. And he's been afflicted for our sake and for our salvation. And his death and resurrection now becomes a source of comfort. And now he turns from that description and turns personally to them. And he says, you're afflicted as I am afflicted as your pastor. 
And because I've been afflicted and in my affliction, I've also been comforted by Christ. Paul faced persecution and suffering and hunger and poverty and jeers. And in all of it, Jesus held Paul in his hand to say to him, in your weakness, my power is made perfect. So Paul didn't take that then and say, well, good for me, just me and Paul and my Jesus Christian life. No, he turns to the church and says, in my affliction, I was comforted. Now I turn to you and I want to comfort you. It works like this. Paul faces affliction. He's comforted by the promises of Christ. Now he turns to the church who is facing affliction, being pressed on all sides to now offer them the comfort of Christ that he has received so that you, the church of Jesus Christ, in your affliction can now turn to each other to be comforted as you have been comforted. And now you turn to one another. It never has a dead end. It's always ongoing, always multiplying. So before I close, here's where I am. People have asked me, how are you doing? Do you feel settled? And, and so here's what I've said this week. I'm living in somebody else's house. I'm driving somebody else's car and I'm working out of somebody else's office. When I arrived here Monday of last week, I had no idea where we were going to live, except it was going to be in a palatial one-bedroom cottage with my wife and our dog. How's that going to go? I, got to, I, I had not physically seen or walked through this cottage, and I got to go see it, and the kitchen is the size of our walk-in closet. But I'm so grateful that we have it. And here's the amazing thing. I'm now, I feel like I'm in the borderlands. I'm leaving the home where we've been for 10 years. And now we're coming to a place that's going to be our home to a group of people who are loving us so well and thank you. But I wanna tell you the story of what it's been like not knowing where you're going to live, knowing that my wife, who has great taste, who has always made me bring my A game, has never walked foot in a single home that I have looked at. And I'm giving her advice through FaceTime as to whether we should buy that house. And then the whole house thing. Oh, it's, yes, it's expensive and all the, all the bids and am I gonna find it and what are we going to do and where are we gonna bring our, our clothes and all that stuff. My clothes right now are in a storage facility off of Murfreesboro Road. I went last night, late night, to go get this. I did. After I woke up, I was so tired, I had taken a nap before I went to bed, and um, I got up after my nap, and it just, I, woke, I, I forgot to get my clothes. So I got in the car, and I went over to the storage facility with Kate on the phone. Now, what should I wear? You know, so it's like, it, I, it, my closet is a storage facility. Next, it's going to be in a van down by the river, the Harpeth River. How long is this river? And I, I, I'm worried about flooding to what it should. So this week, on Wednesday, I pulled in to where I was going to be staying for the rest of the week, Jay and Maureen Kyle's home. And as I'm pulling onto their street, just that day, a house was about to hit the market. This is Wednesday. It was going to hit the market on Thursday. And I see how this is gonna go. I see how it's been going. 
And so I got out of the car, I walked down the street and I looked at it and I started praying. Called the agent. Linda, let's get the first appointment. Got the first appointment Thursday morning. Kate on FaceTime. It's great. Everybody's gonna think it's great. What's gonna happen? We put down the offer. Thursday night, the counter offer comes back. <sighs> Next morning, we make the counter to the counter. And then they're like, well. <sighs> so I say to Kate, she says to me, we're not emotionally attached. They either take it or it's fine. Whatever's gonna happen, let's go see some more houses. Then they had a counter to our counter. And then we made the counter to the counter to the counter to the counter. And I will tell you, yesterday morning at 7.45 a.m., I'm on the phone with Kate. We're getting caught up in the morning. And we both get the email ding. They accepted your offer. And in tears. I've been married for 25 years to the most amazing woman I could ever imagine, but I never foresaw a day where we would be buying a house that she's never stepped foot in. I feel frayed and tired, but I'm energized. I'm excited because of this one reality. Put the house aside. Jesus has called. And in every way, I'm laying track before a moving train and Jesus is leading. And at every point where I've been discouraged, one of you has texted me. At every point when I've been discouraged, I've gotten an email. At every point when I've been discouraged and wondering what's going to happen, someone called and said, hey, how can we pray for you? That's Jesus texting, calling, emailing, speaking comfort into our lives. And so I now say to you, C3, what does the future hold? I have no idea. What are we going to look like? Where's the vision going? I don't know. <laughs> but this I do. Jesus is at the center. He is the paraclete. He is the comforter. And I finish with these words from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Thessalonians chapter five. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we might live with him, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. His face towards us is not wrath, but salvation. We have comfort because Jesus is our redeemer and we have been comforted. Therefore, we comfort one another as we have already been doing. Now, friends, as you are equipped with the comfort of Christ, as I seek to bring comfort to you and point you to the center that is Jesus, may the Lord work in you 
to point everyone else in your life towards the only comfort, towards the only center that matters. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the comfort that is ours in Jesus Christ. Surely as we breathe, not a single one of us knows what the next hour brings. But we can say, it is well because the Lord is in this place. And the one who was afflicted for our sin has now been made victorious. And he is our comfort in the midst of our affliction. And we can now comfort and encourage one another. Lord, do this, we ask. In the name and the power of Jesus, we pray. Amen.